and, and, and all you can think about is your comforts, your beds, your wine, your comfort, and you know what? The country's going down the tubes. The consequences of sin are everywhere, but all you can think about is your comfort. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we look at the statistics in our country, and, and we see a, in many of those statistics, we see a spiraling of our country. And what happens is, as what happened back then, people just simply ignore it and pursue more and more of their own comforts in life. To salvage this country is going to take sacrifice. It's going to take cooperation. It's going to take a setting aside of perhaps some of our comforts. And in order for that to happen, it is going to take revival. Left to ourselves, we, we choose the road of comfort. Now, I grew up with the American dream. You know, good job, nice home, two-car garage, flat-screen TV, you know, microwave, a uh, dishwasher, and, a, you know, a few kids, but not too many, and early retirement with enough money to maybe have a second home down south. Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of the American dream. Now, you know, am I saying, is there something wrong with having a home or two-car garage? Or going south in the winter, that's not what I'm saying. What we're saying is, when that's your dream, when, when that is the American dream, when, when, when that is the extent of what, of what we hope for and what we long for and what we feel secure in when we have it, then, then we are in trouble. We are in big trouble. That's not God's dream. It's way, way way too small for God's dream. That's the American dream. But the bottom line in, in God's dream is very different than that. God's dream for you is that you would be eternally rich. God's dream is not that you would get all supplied with the best of these temporal things which are simply passing away. God's dream goes way beyond that. And so God is desiring to, to bless, to adopt, to bring into his family through the work of Christ and through faith that we be brought into his family and we be a part of this kingdom that he is building and this reign that he is seeking to build. And this has to do with people. It doesn't have to do with stuff. God is much more concerned about your relationships with the people in your life than the stuff in your life and in mine. God's dream does not have so much to do with cars and homes and, and all of that. It has to do with much more. And when, when we catch a vision of God's dream, as the old song says, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Comfort is, is not God's bottom line. In fact, if, if you desire to make people, you know, his, God's greatest call is not to comfort. God's greatest call is to love. The Bible makes that very clear. And, and C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around your hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell itself. God's bottom line in our lives is, is not comfort. I mean, you listen to Paul's description of, of his life in 2 Corinthians. He describes just a, be, just a piece of his life. Notice what he says. He says, I, he's talking about his life. He says, I've worked hard. He says, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the country, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst have, been gone, have gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. That does not sound like a very comfortable life. And yet it was a life of great joy that Paul experienced. That doesn't sound like the American dream, does it? That was the life that God set before Paul. And, and we all have different races to run. But, but here's the point I want to make this morning, that when comfort becomes our bottom line, when comfort becomes our bottom line, then you and I are in trouble. And as Nathan challenged us this morning, if you're going to submit to God's call to obedience, I promise you it will be a call to things that feel uncomfortable. You have to act in spite of fear. It will require sacrifice of time, energy, resources, everything in our lives as we respond in obedience. Life gets hard and, and, and we look to things that give us comfort instead of looking to the God who gives us comfort. You know, God's transformational environment is the desert. That's the place where God takes us. It's really the, the desert. And every man and woman who God has significantly used will point back to times in the desert, probably multiple times in the desert. This is the place where we lose our complacency. This is the place where we lose our self-dependency. This is the place where we set aside our, our need to be comfortable. Because the desert is not a very comfortable place. It's not a very comfortable place at all. 
Jeff Mannion has written a book entitled The Land in Between. And he talks about the time of Israel in the desert as this, this place, this is the land in between, the promised land and where God had called them from. And it's a place where God brought them to teach them to trust him. That's what God does in the desert. He brings us into uncomfortable places where we can't see beyond our own noses and he, he uses that environment to teach us trust and, and to draw us near. And so what the people of Israel did? They complained. They said, give us meat or we'll die. God had given them this amazing manna from heaven which gave them everything they needed, but that wasn't enough. And so they were always complaining about something, and so they ended up spending their whole lives in the desert. Only their children got to go into the promised land. Some of our deserts are self-induced and the pain we experience. Sometimes God just puts us there, but either way, either way, those are the places that God uses. Those are the uncomfortable places that God uses. This is cancer. These are the detours of our lives, that divorce, the bankruptcy, rebellious children, uh, those places that God allows us to go and those places where he does the deep work in our lives. The wilderness in the Bible is really a metaphor in, in our lives for that place where God does his work. It's that time between jobs. It's that place of health issues. It's that place where we pursue healing in our lives from, from great pain in our lives. It's a place where we are always tempted especially when things get harder and drier, where we are tempted to pursue comforts in our lives other than the ultimate source. That's the place where we are tempted to grab on to the 101 different idols of comfort, is those places of pain. Someone has identified three of the most common idols we have in those times of pain. One is affirmation. Second one is control, and, and the third one being comfort. And here's the point. God wants you to be affirmed. He just doesn't want, to, want you to find it from you know, the kids at school or from this person or from how you look or how well you do. God wants to be your affirmation. He wants you to be affirmed. He just wants to be the one that affirms you. God wants there to be a sense of control in your life, but he doesn't want you to take control. He wants you to allow him to be the one that controls your life. And comfort is not that God is opposed to comfort. You know that the very name of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete that God gave you, the very word means he is a comforter. But God doesn't want you to look to something else. He wants to be. God wants to be the one that is the comforter in your life. And so in the desert, one of two things happen. We either grow deeper in trust and dependency, or we grow bitter, and we grow distant as we choose not to be obedient and to respond out of fear. A few years ago, I went to the book of Romans, which is a great book, great book of the Bible. So much good stuff in there. But the, the text that 
stood out from that series and I never forgot that spoke to me the loudest was the one where Paul talks about the fact and I'm quoting him now he says even we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan groan inwardly as we await that day of our redemption so what Paul is saying is every one of us here if you're a believer today you've trusted Jesus He's promised to come and give you peace, joy, and love, and and fullness, and richness. But I'm going to tell you, there's a groan in your life. And nothing seems to quite measure up. Your marriage doesn't quite measure up. Your relationships don't quite measure up. Things that you try and do don't quite measure up. Your job doesn't quite measure up. There's this groan that things are not as they should be because that's exactly what is going on. And until the day when redemption happens, we have that groan. And if you're not willing to live with that groan, then you will search 101 different things to try and fill up that groan and nothing will fill it. And so we see here that one day God will eliminate the groan. But until that time, we have to learn. We have to learn to live with that sense of unfulfillment in our lives as we await that day. And if we're not willing to do that, we will begin to fill that. We'll begin to try and medicate that with the idols of this world. TV, Facebook, food, hobbies, money, sex, success, romantic relationships, work, play, comfort, all all of these idols that we've been talking about. You know, Jesus, first thing that God did with him is took him into the desert. Remember that? And let me tell you, it was he fasted and for 40 days he was so thirsty. You know, when the tongue just sticks to the roof of your mouth. And so he's in this uncomfortable place because God was using that place in his life. And who shows up there? Who shows up? The one who always shows up. The accuser of the brethren. Satan shows up. He's trying to take advantage of that place and time to trip Jesus up. And I just want to share this word with you. When you're in the desert, don't think Satan isn't there trying to speak into your heart trying to tell you that you deserve to be here, that that God puts you here because of the failures in your life and because he's punishing you in all of the accusation of the enemy. If you're in the desert, God has you in the desert. And if God's allowing you to stay there, he's there because he's wanting to work good into your life. And any other message than that comes from the enemy who will try and speak all kinds of things into your life. And I just want to tell you this morning, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. God is always, always, always working for the good of those that he has called according to his purposes. And in the most painful places of our life, God is still at work. I want to encourage you this morning, and I'm just going to throw a clip up here. And uh, I want to end my message this morning with just a few words of encouragement to you. And so turn your eyes to the wall and just take in this message this morning. When we suffer in this lifetime, we need to keep a few things in perspective. Number one, 
Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. God works all things, even the worst things, together for good for his people. We need to keep that in focus. And if we're unable to see that, if we're so struggling with our difficulties that we we can't possibly see or think or imagine the good that can come from it, then we need to keep this in perspective. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory we shall see. As difficult as it gets in this lifetime, we have the promise and the hope of eternal life with Christ. And the worst horrors that we can imagine in this life are not even worthy to be compared with how wonderful it will be to be with Christ. Not worthy to be compared. And we cling to these things, and I'm clinging to these things right now, that God is going to work good in this lifetime. And that these things someday shall pass, and they won't even be worthy of mentioning in light of seeing Jesus, I believe it. And then we bring those things together with this truth, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. That time where Christ himself will set right every wrong and he'll be with us in the boat of pain in the storm. As it says in Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. That day is coming. You see, the, God has never promised us that we won't suffer in this lifetime. In fact, he's made it explicit in the word of God that we will suffer in this lifetime. But there is coming a day in the renewal of all things, in the fullness of Christ's presence, where because of his person, because of his presence, there will be no more tears. He himself will wipe them away. No more crying, mourning, pain, no more cancer, no more death. I have joy in the pain because I will gain in a new way the present of Jesus himself. And then holding on to these things when we all suffer in life will allow us to be the kind of person that Job was. In Job chapter 1, he got horrible news after horrible news after horrible news. His entire family, all of his kids were wiped out. All of his belongings, all of his wealth was all wiped out in a day. And it says... Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. That's how they mourned then. But look what he did. And worshiped. That's the man that I want to be. I want to be the kind of man that the more I lose, the more I worship God. Because the more I lose in this world, 
the more of a treasure he becomes to me in this moment. And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And my daily prayer is verse 22. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. It's the kind of people we need to be in suffering. Shall we indeed take the good and not adversity? Has God not warned us that in this world we would have difficulty? But take heart, he has overcome the world and there is coming a new day. And I want to tell you, church, that Jesus is more present in our brokenness. The gospel is more real and on greater display when we are broken than at any other time. Father, we receive those words today, many of them right out of your word uh, to us. Not the words of man, but your words to us. Lord Jesus, you are the great treasure, and we just confess to you as much as we try to avoid it, that it is in those times of weakness and difficulty that all of the things of this world are stripped away and and we see you more clearly Father that's what we would pray for Father this morning we also affirm the fact that you, you are the great comforter not that you desire us to live in misery in these lives as we go through difficult things but that you desire for, to be, for us to be comforted, but, Father, to be comforted by you. Not by something else, not by some other God, not by some other idol, not by success or something else that makes us feel good, but, God, that we would turn to you, the ultimate comforter, and we would find comfort in our greatest times of need. Father, may we be those kind of people. Father, may you work that maturity in our lives as your people, that in the hardest of times that your glory still shines as the words of praise still flow from our mouths, even amidst the grief, even amidst the anger, even in the midst of our struggle, Father, that we would be those that bring glory to your name because we do believe that you are working all things out for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Father, we pray now as we conclude this service that you would just bless uh, this offering. Continue to speak to us. Continue to encourage and strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life? Your mercies in disguise.